0: You are listening to content from Christ Our Hope Anglican Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. For more information, you can find us on the web at ChristOurHopeAnglican.org. And now, here's today's message. One of the pastors who had a great influence on me um, throughout my college years and beyond um, once said that every good story is a retelling of the gospel. He attributed the quote to G.K. Chesterton, but every time I've tried to look it up, I can only find his book where he says, G.K. Chesterton said, every good story is a retelling of the gospel. Um, so I'm sure that Chesterton said something like it, but, but it has stuck in my mind um, always that every good story is a retelling of the gospel. And he doesn't mean by that that good stories are allegory, that they are somehow the only stories that are good are the ones that, that actually knowingly parallel the gospel, like we have the Chronicles of Narnia where we see Aslan coming in the figure of Jesus. Those aren't the only good stories. What he means is that the stories that resonate in our heart The stories that we actually turn to time and again, we often do so because they have something that is true about them. And when we look, we can see that the truth that is in them is a reflection of the good news of the gospel in Jesus Christ. And one of the ways that we see this, there are many stories that kind of have this conceit of a king who is hidden until the time that he is revealed. I was trying to think of good examples of that this week, and uh, probably one of the ones that, that I really enjoyed, that I liked, is The Sword and the Stone, where Arthur is, is going around, and if you have watched the Disney version, he's the, the wart, um, or the wart, um, as it probably would have been pronounced, um, in The Sword of the Stone, and he's going around, and he's a kid, and he's, he's a foster child of of his father, Sir Ector, until finally he one day pulls the sword out of the stone and is revealed to actually be the true king of All-Britain. Or we have Aragorn in The Lord of the Rings, who first shows up as Strider, and they see him as just this wandering ranger in the wilderness until he comes and claims his own kingdom or the older stories of Robin Hood which feature King Richard coming in disguise among the people of Robin Hood and his band of merry men so that he can test and see whether they really are good-hearted, good-natured outlaws or whether they are just criminals who are in the woods. We see these kind of stories over and over again. And all of them, I think, are pointing to the fact, reflection of the fact of the true story that Jesus came to earth as a humble baby. And for years in his growing up, his glory was not revealed. We had hints of it, of course, just as we did with the story of Arthur. There are prophecies. There's foreknowledge that we have, that we know that it's, the kingdom is his and he is going to come into it. Certainly in this season of Epiphany, one of the things that we celebrate on the day of Epiphany is that the, the magi came and placed gifts before the baby because they knew that he was going to grow up to be the king. But it's really here in the moment of his baptism in the gospel that we read today that we see the the first hints of that being publicly revealed to all who had eyes to see and ears to hear. It's at his baptism that the heavens open up and the voice of the Father declares that this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. It is at the baptism that the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus like a dove and stays with him, and empowers his ministry forever. This is what we celebrate in the season of Epiphany. Epiphany means a revelation, a a time where something is revealed to us, and we celebrate that the child who was born at Christmas was revealed as the King of Kings, the Son of God, the Savior of Israel, and the light of revelation to the Gentiles course, it's not only at his baptism that this revelation took place. Throughout the life of Jesus, there will be further confirmation that he actually was the king who had come. In his teaching with authority, in the way that he worked miracles that healed people and showed his control over nature, in the way that he died and rose again, was the ultimate vindication and proof that Jesus was who he says he was, that the voice that spoke from heaven spoke true, that this is truly the Son of God. And he is still revealed to us today by the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in the hearts and minds of men and women and children and by the fruit and gifts of that same Spirit being evident in the church. The Spirit always does the work of pointing to Jesus, of glorifying Jesus, of reminding us time and time again that He is the Son of God, that He is the true Lord, that He is the King of kings. Jesus promised that this would be the Spirit's work when He spoke to His disciples in the book of John, and chapter 16. He told them, He will glorify Me, because He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. And we have this work of the Spirit in us today. During the eight weeks of Epiphany this year, we are going to be looking at the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit, particularly in the gifts that he gives to the church and the ways that we are to use them. The baptism of Christ is a fitting place to begin that journey, for here we see in action that fundamental work of the Spirit. When the Spirit descended upon him in visible form, it provided a model for two things that will always happen when the work of the Spirit is evident in the church. First, as we've already mentioned, the Spirit glorified the Son. This is always the work of the Spirit of God, and it's one of the key ways to distinguish the work of the Spirit of God from any other spirit. I've already mentioned the passage from John where Jesus said that that's what the Spirit would do, that it would glorify Him. But we could also turn to Paul for further confirmation. In 1 Corinthians 12.3, he says, Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking by the Spirit of God ever says, let Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. The work of the Spirit never points to Himself. It points to Jesus. It glorifies the Son. Second, the Spirit empowers Jesus for His coming ministry. And this seems a bit of an odd thing to say about the Son of God. But it's exactly what Jesus says about the Son of God. It's what Paul said, Peter said in our New Testament reading. So our New Testament reading from today came from Acts chapter 10. And Peter said when he was speaking to the Gentiles to whom he was bringing the the good news, he said, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And Jesus himself, in just a chapter after what we read in the book of Luke today, said that his ministry was a fulfillment of the words of Isaiah which read, The Spirit of God is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. The ministry of Jesus during His earthly walk in life was the work of a man filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And the remarkable thing is that this is the continued work of the Holy Spirit today, that we have access to the same Spirit. We're supposed to live and act as the church in the power of the same Spirit that empowered Jesus for all of His ministry. In our gospel passage today, John told those who were asked him about the Messiah, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Luke is the same person that wrote the book of Acts. And it's pretty clear when you're reading through this book of Luke-Acts that The initial fulfillment of that happened at Pentecost. But it is also true for every subsequent generation of Christians as well. We are to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. It is to empower our ministry and our life by having the Holy Spirit descend upon us as the church, as the body of Christ. This is how we know that we are who we say we are. That we are adopted as sons and daughters of God because of the baptism of the Holy Spirit upon us. That we are truly the body of Christ because there is the evidence of the Holy Spirit at work in us. Now that phrase has been somewhat contentious in the church. So I'm going to actually take some time to unpack what is meant by the baptism of the Holy Spirit um, and before I do so, I'm going to plug uh, Bishop Thad Barnum's talk at our gathering, this, um, the, our diocesan gathering that's happening in February. He's giving a talk before the gathering starts um, that is a, a free talk on Monday about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so there's a little bit of hesitation in me as I'm, I'm about to talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit about a month before a bishop does. Um, and he is without a doubt, more knowledgeable than I and more experienced in teaching on this topic than I. So anything that I say that contradicts what Thad Barnum says in about a month, you should probably listen to him. Um, And I I reserve the right to amend my my notes of what I have to say about this a little bit um, after I go to the gathering and hear what he has to say. But because the baptism of the Holy Spirit has been interpreted in various ways by different Christians... Um, and various Anglicans at that, I want to ad- first of all upfront admit that faithful Bible believing Christians have come to different conclusion on- conclusions on this matter, and that's okay. This is not essential to salvation that you have the right doctrine of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And but it is important for our ministry to think about how we think of the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit. It's not something we can just ignore. But I also want to say that there are people who are faithful, who have who love Jesus, who have immersed themselves in the Word of God, who have come to different conclusions on the matter. And it's important to know when we come to that kind of an issue that there are a variety of opinions and that we should expect that in the church. But I also think that there are boundaries we can put upon it, that we can say there are some common ground that we can find and there are extremes on either side that we can say this is not what it is, this is not true. So I'm going to take two people who I think are faithful, Bible-believing Anglicans and sort of present different views that I think provide boundaries for how we think about this issue of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. On the one hand, you have someone like John Stott, who is a name that is well-known among evangelical Christians. He's written a lot of books that are talking about theology, and he has one that's called Baptism and Fullness that is talking about the work of the Holy Spirit today. And John Stott's opinion after researching this and looking at the scriptures and what they have to say is that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is what happens to every Christian at their salvation, That the baptism of the Holy Spirit is synonymous with the gift of the Holy Spirit that is given to Christians who repent and believe that Jesus is Lord, that confess his name, and that as you are brought into the church and given the gift of the Holy Spirit, that he would say that is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, he, he does say that we can and should be filled with the Holy Spirit and empowered by the Holy Spirit at further, at other times in our ministry. Saying that we have received the Holy Spirit does not mean that we are always walking in the fullness of the power of the Holy Spirit. There are ways that we can, we can choose to sort of quench that. We can choose to not walk in the power that has been given to us, uh, but he just wouldn't call that the baptism of the Holy Spirit when we look to be filled with the Spirit's power at a later time. He also is not one to say that there are likely to be miraculous signs that accompany the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He does admit that they're possible because God is God and God can do whatever he wants. But he doesn't think that it's necessarily normative. On the other hand, you have the position of a man like Dennis Bennett, who um, wrote several books, but there's one that, that he wrote with his wife Rita called The Holy Spirit and You, and he still says that the holy spirit is given to all believers and he but he believes that the baptism of the holy spirit is a distinct event that can happen can happen at the moment of salvation but often happens later that is marked by miraculous signs usually the gift of the speaking in, of speaking in tongues and sometimes other signs of god's power such as miraculous healing being evident at the time that you receive the baptism of the holy spirit and these two positions may seem to be at odds with one another, but they really have a lot in common. And I want to focus on that common ground first, because I think that this is, provides some good boundaries for us to think about what the baptism of the Holy Spirit looks like and how it is going to affect our life as a church. First, both Stott and Bennett agree that the Holy Spirit always glorifies the Son. What we've already talked about, that the work of the Holy Spirit is to glorify the Son, they both make that really clear in their books. And so the... Words of the Holy, those who are filled with the Holy Spirit are always going to be preaching the good news. They are going to be speaking about what Jesus has done. They are going to glorify Jesus with the gifts that they have. If you receive the gift of tongues where you don't, you're, if you're filled with the Spirit of God, your response is going to be praise and to glorify the Son because that is what the Spirit does in the lives of Christians if you have a feeling of emotional upwelling that doesn't lead you to praise God, that doesn't lead you to to look to Jesus, that doesn't lead you to take joy in the gospel, that's not the work of the Holy Spirit. Something else. Both also agree that the Holy Spirit is given to all Christians at salvation and that this does not require signs such as speaking in tongues. Even though Bennett says that the baptism of the Holy Spirit has the speaking of tongues accompanying it later on, he is very clear that there are Christians who are faithful believers who have received salvation from God who have not yet received that gift. And this actually puts a boundary that... that um, sort of keeps us from veering to where some Pentecostal traditions would say that only those who have spoken in tongues are actually saved. And if you haven't received that, then you have to receive that to actually have the Holy Spirit, to actually be, be saved. This is not a position that we will hold in our church. It is not a position that I think can be upheld by Scripture. And it is one that is important that we know as we begin this conversation um, that it is not something that we are going to say like, hey, if you haven't done this particular miraculous gift, then you're not actually saved. If you have repented of your sin, if you have confessed that Jesus is Lord, if you have chosen to follow after Him, then you are saved. Both agree that God grants gifts to all of His people through the Spirit. We'll talk more about spiritual gifts in a future week as we continue to, to dive through the passages that the, about the Spirit, and we'll talk more about what that looks like. But it's important for you to know that if you are a Christian, you do have spiritual gifts. Whether you have shown miraculous signs or whether you are given gifts of helps, you are given gifts of generosity, you're given gifts of preaching and teaching. If you are, have the Holy Spirit of God in you, if you are a Christian, you have gifts that are given to you for the building up of his body that you are intended to use for the edification of the church and for the spreading the word of God to those who have not yet heard it. That is true of all believers and it is a position held in common by by Stott and Bennett and I think everybody who turns to the scriptures for their guide to what it means to have the Holy Spirit. Both also agree that we are to be immersed in the Spirit of God. And this is the literal translation of baptism. It would be talking about immersion, that we are supposed to be immersed, surrounded, filled with the Holy Spirit. And that it is possible to have salvation, but not be living in a way where you are allowing the Holy Spirit to truly fill you, to guide your life. This is really important here, is that what we need as a church in order to fulfill the work that God has given us to do as the people of God is we must be filled with His Spirit. Whether you look upon that as the baptism of the Spirit or whether you use other language as well, we cannot fulfill the mission that Christ has given us. We cannot be the people that God has made us to be. We cannot be the church if we are not filled with the Holy Spirit and using the gifts that he has given us, we cannot do it what God has given us to do. Jesus did not go into his mission, do it alone. He did it in the power of the Holy Spirit. And he made it clear that it's that same power that would allow the apostles to complete their mission. And it's the same power that allows us as Christians to do what God the work that God has given us to do. And both agree that if you receive that full gift of the Spirit, it will empower you for that work. And in particular, it will lead you into a life of holiness. It will enable you to f- effectively carry the gospel to a people who desperately need Jesus. And this is our desire. This is our, our, what we want from God, is we want to be filled with the Spirit so that we can do the work He has given us to do. We need this as a church. We need this as a people And I think that what Bennett and Stott and I think every faithful Bible-believing Christian agrees upon in these things actually gives us a guide for how we can move forward. What we need to do is repent of our sins because we cannot receive the Holy Spirit without repentance. We cannot be filled with the Holy Spirit to His fullness while we are clinging to sin. We need to repent from our sins We have to renounce all things that we have pledged allegiance to apart from Jesus, all spiritual forces that we have been involved in that are not the Holy Spirit. We have to turn from it. We have to ask God to fill us with His Holy Spirit. We have to believe that He's actually going to do it. We have to have faith as we ask this that we want to be a people and a church who are filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And then we have to be open to whatever gifts he gives us to actually using them in ways that are given for the building up of his church and for the carrying out of his ministry. This is what we are called to as the people of God. We are called to ask for the Spirit, to believe that it will be given, and then to use the gifts that he gives for for the building up of one another and for carrying out the gospel into the world. I actually like John Piper's language. Not an Anglican, but that's okay. (laughs) He says that the baptism of the Holy Spirit can actually um, occur repeatedly throughout the Christian life. That the anointing and empowerment of the Holy Spirit is not just a one-time event, but something that we ask for over and over again. And that each time it is given that we might receive extraordinary power for Christ-exalting ministry. This is what we want, and it's what we need. We need the Holy Spirit to come upon us so that we can receive extraordinary power for Christ-exalting ministry. We will not be effective as individual Christians or as a church if we are not living in the power of the Spirit. On the other hand, there is no limit to what God might do in us if we are living as a church that is filled with the Spirit of God, that is truly empowered by the Holy Spirit if we don't have the Holy Spirit among us, if we are not looking to live lives that are allowing ourselves to be filled with the Holy Spirit, if we are not seeking His anointing in us, then we are not fulfilling the mission that Christ has given to us as His church. Jesus was revealed as the Son of God when the Holy Spirit descended upon Him. In that moment where we see Father, Son, and Spirit active all at once, we understand more fully the nature of God. We see Jesus going in his ministry, in his preaching, in his teaching, in his miracles, in the power of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus told his disciples, all that I've done, you'll do even more. Because I'm sending the same Spirit to you. The same Spirit that empowered him for his ministry is given to us. And if we don't live like it, if we don't act like it, if we don't ask for it, We are neglecting our inheritance that has been given to us. It is the Spirit that lives in us and cries out, Abba, Father, that shows us to be adopted as sons and daughters of God. It is the Spirit in us that gives us the power to fulfill the ministry that God has given to His church. So let us as a people, as a church, ask for and seek for the Spirit of God each and every day. Of course we do it here in these meetings together, but not just in these meetings when we gather for worship. These are moments where hopefully that becomes evident, where the, the, just as the baptism of Christ revealed the activity of the Holy Spirit and then he went and, and fulfilled his mission elsewhere, the same thing is true of us. When we get together and worship, we see who we really are, we sense the Spirit among us, and then we go out into the world and use those gifts. But let's do it. Repent of any sin that is keeping you from the Holy Spirit. Ask God to anoint you with His Holy Spirit. Believe in your heart that God has promised that gift to all who are faithful and believe in Him. And act with the gifts that He gives you. Take action. Don't sit on them. They're not just for you. They're for others. We talk more about the Holy Spirit. We talk more about gifts. We talk more about speaking in tongues and prophecy and all of those things as we're going through the passages um, over the next few weeks. This is the fundamental truth that we have to come back to again and again. God desires to fill you with the power of his Holy Spirit. So ask and believe in faith. This sermon is an audio ministry from Christ Our Hope Anglican Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. If you are in the area and would like to learn more about how you can worship with us in person or online, please visit us on the web at www.christourhopeanglican.org.